0: Welcome to the 5 Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, and in back this week, Ted Haycraft.
1: It's been a long time. It's, uh, it's, been, it's
0: been a while. We, we, we have a planned series coming up that I am delinquent and actually doing my research part on it, so that's kept you off, I guess. But uh, today we are discussing the Cormac McCarthy Ridley Scott collaboration, The Counselor from 2013. Was it 2013? Yeah,
1: 2013, I think. I do believe it is. Uh, he was, I think,. Uh, I watched it again, the uh, un what, unrated, extended, unrated, with, extended, extended version, yep. which, you know, I, so I was reading something. I was reading a few things online, and Ridley Scott is the godfather of director's cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, did, I thought about that and go, you know, that's, I guess that's true. And almost every film of his lately has extended cuts. Kingdom, they really, they they really almost,
0: do, and they're almost like, we'll, we'll get into this in the episode, but first off, so, what, what did you watch this week?
1: Well, what did i watch this week uh, well i i saw a series of films in the theater yeah and they all seem to have a kind of a common theme so i go i went from um uh no man land land minari and the world to come <laughs> and i'm like land the land the land I, it's like everything had to deal with getting back to the ground the land and, and and roaming and and starting over and starting again and yeah it's really i was like wow this I, it was almost like i was watching a, a a festival of the same themes you know i
0: haven't caught land yet uh world to come i think has already left yes it did but i did see minari so I'm. Right. Um, I did have that distinct feeling.
1: I, I mean, this is going to be a
0: common thing over the next year, but it was just like a real movie
1: <laughs> in the theater. That's actually good. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was weird too because uh, I mean, this is just this is really trivial, trivial. But uh, the fact that the I saw on my algorithms on my Facebook, the AMC was really plugging The World to Come. Like, AMC's got this. Plan. We're going to go to AMC to see this movie. Well, it showed up at our mom and pop theater here in town. And the mom and pop theater didn't get Nomad Land it's an AMC no land so yeah. I'm like, well, that's bizarre
0: that was the other reason there was um there was hope originally that uh Nomad Lands it's supposed to have an IMAX release and then we might have got it in IMAX and uh, uh, they're waiting for that probably then no it's not coming it's not no, coming to Evansville uh, they, well they, no it's it's it said it AMC has it no but the IMAX is Oh yeah, the okay. IMAX is they apparently diminished their run or something but there is to. an IMAX version of it yeah ah. yeah they blew it blew it up to IMAX um, what do you think
1: of i you know one thing I, I wanted to ask you about that was uh, i love that soundtrack
0: yeah oh my gosh it was um uh emil mossieri i guess he's the guy that did uh the score to uh, last black man in san francisco oh see i haven't seen that yet he's Uh, he's 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 doing some interesting work but
1: yeah oh i mean very distinct i'm 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 gonna pre-order the soundtrack i mean because i just i couldn't believe how good it was And, and you know it almost had its own character in the movie because it's it's not something you would think would be the the counter kind of subject with that movie, mm-hmm. you know. So I was really impressed with that.
0: Yeah, and uh, uh, the grandma is <laughs> for a bunch of reward uh, stuff deservedly. So that's that is a role that does not feel acted. That feels like they just found somebody. Yeah,
1: and yeah. you got a good old Will Patton showing up and doing his supporting part.
0: He, I always like Will Patton when he yeah. shows up and stuff, and he's doing some like. He was doing some very eccentric work in this, but it was as written in. So it, it, it It's worked. like you get, you know, you
1: got you got David Strathairn and No Man Land, you got Will Patton in Banar, you know, you, you just his go-to supporting guys I are Still great. haven't seen
0: No Man Land, so I don't
1: Well, Strathairn, you knew the Strathairns Ther- at it, right? I didn't. Actually. Oh, you didn't really. No,
0: I'm I'm debating whether to go to the theater or just it's on Hulu. I should maybe I, it's I a, you know, it's big
1: vistas and
0: uh, the landscapes that makes sense, but I mean, the whole point it, th- seeing it moving the theater right now, you want to be alone. Which well, you're going to be probably alone. because I don't.
1: Will. I think all four of those movies, I think that, uh, there was hardly anybody in uh, hardly any of them. Uh, wouldn't be.
0: We should probably also mention that by the time this airs, the Golden Globes will have happened.
1: Right. Yeah. I got to. I got to watch it tomorrow night and do my homework for my uh, cinema chat for with Mike Blake on Monday. I. So.
0: I mean. I. This is another year where I'm thinking about just watching the monologue. And I mean,
1: are, how are they? Are, are... They're doing like uh, one Tina's and one uh, like in New York, and, I, and I heard how... Amy's in LA. Well, I, you know, of course, the one thing I do like about the gold Gloves, we won't have it, I guess. Is I love when they go to bumps and and I love to see right oh there's Warren Beatty talking to Leonardo you know right. you, you know you get to see this really weird uh, uh, juxtaposition of stars and and filmmakers talking to each other you don't normally they, well, they don't normally get the chance to do either the, so
0: the thing I always love about the Golden Globes is it's distinctly the drunk award show <laughs> like they it's them hanging out and they're clearly drinking although they I love the jokes they've been making more increasing the years of like TVs relegated to the outer part of the room
1: yeah. Uh, and they're not very they're not very clip heavy. Worse, the Oscar hasn't been clip heavy either. You know, I, that's one thing I just I just I just I I'm so bummed. Yeah. I love montages. Give me more montages. Give me clips. Give me you know why we watch these things instead of just talking heads. You but know?
0: Ted, they got to save the Oscars this year. This is going to be the year. It's finally a really highly rated performance. It, but they have to have the box office winner of the year be nominated to get good ratings on it. Yeah, it's so. like weird false argument that appears on Twitter the day after, and of course the hosts are always terrible. They've never had a good host. That crap too. Yeah. Um. So, do we wanna do? Do you wanna do the recap or should I? Cause I, this movie, this is this is my pick. This movie is my pick. I'm glad I picked it. I think this movie got falsely.
1: What happened? I mean, I remember coming out of the theater, loving the thing. You loved it all. Oh, right I, right? I, I, I had no problems with it right off the bat. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, it's Ridley Scott, it's Brad Pitt, Javier Bardem, uh, Cameron Diaz, uh, Penelope Cruz, a lot of interesting cameos. Uh, it, well, I mean, why did the – and Cormac McCarthy, a script? I, I ran into
0: our uh, – when I was seeing Minari, I ran into our uh, our – past guest and uh, Richard Lester dinner attendee, <laughs> Aaron Smith. And he, he's, he put it on his finger on the pulse exactly what I was thinking. People were expecting No Country for Old Men part two. Mm. And uh, you, you get another Cormac McCarthy, Southwest movie. It's gonna involve the cartel. So you just think that, it, no one was expecting a movie this funny, I think. And like, and we we both watched the unrated version, right? Yeah. Well funny, uh, uh,
1: uh, well, funny. Well, so funny. That's a your reaction. I don't know so much I, You know, I I see. I, I think. The, I think the funny comes in as you as a rewatching and more.
0: Oh no no, it's yeah. definitely a rewatch. Um. Okay. Um. I. I am kind of, I've read my share of Cormac McCarthy books, but I'm also one of those pedestrians that really started with no country. And then I read The Road and I've tried Blood Meridian and I will probably get to it. Which one was
1: Oprah's? The Road was Oprah's uh, book club selection. Yeah, right.
0: Um, But one that I just finished about a few months ago, which I've been trying to read for years is Sutri, which is his book from, I want to say 78. It's Roger Ebert's favorite Cormac McCarthy novel. And Ebert's point on why it was his favorite is because it has this huckleberry Finn vibe of, it's actually funny if you say, 'cause when you think of McCarthy, you think of desolation life death nihilism yes uh, yes uh, a lot of a lot of uh biblical old testament oblivion, yeah <laughs> and but there's, there is a lot of... I think
1: really Scott wanted to do Blood, Blood Meridian. He, he said, but he, he didn't know if he could uh, do the it. The judge. You cast, uh, who, how do you cast the judge? Well, this, yeah, the whole... Yeah, the atmosphere of that, you know, what goes on in that book. That would be kind
0: of... I mean, really Scott's version of that would be pretty amazing but okay so let's let's
1: start with the plot
0: synopsis you want to make a clear point Ooh, this is a big spoiler you have to see this movie to listen to our conversation about
1: this yeah or you know if if you're i yeah i mean i think you also you if you just uh want to listen to us you might actually will help you a little bit to go into it because I, I think i mean we're going to give you we're going to say things that will give plot points away but uh, it may help you to actually go, I, I do want to see this now. Oh, I would hope. I hope. That's our goal here, I guess, is go see, watch this film. It's a, it's such an overlooked, underrated film. Even though Ridley mentioned it in the commentary, he was happy that there was a couple. He said, there were some couple places, high places, that liked the film. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm very happy with that. Okay. Because uh, I, I remember, and of course, Rolling Stone liked it. Of all, Travers, Peter Travers, of all people, he's so mainstream. I was surprised that he he was a, a champion of the film. Huh. Uh, and there was because of the trailers. I watched the TV. I watched the trailers on the disc. Oh. And they were quoting Rolling Stone and one other publication. That was it. That's
0: I what, I thought I'd seen a quote from Rolling Stone that they said it was just a little too. They made fun of the uh, capitalist critique. Of, uh. Of the movie. Well, that the well, they wouldn't do that
1: in the trailer if you. Uh, yeah. That
0: surprisingly isn't in the TV spot. No. Um, all right. I I don't. I'm having a problem doing plot synopses. I just don't like doing them. But uh, well,
1: ba- you want me to take a stab at it, or are you, are you just psh, what? go for it? Well, I'm just saying you got you got Michael Fassbender,
0: plays the titular counselor.
1: Yeah, and of course, here's a tip right off the bat. And I didn't even think about this now, but you know, this has happened occasionally recently too, in some other films. We never know his name. Yeah, he and, and the credit comes up. It's the counselor, and that's one of those things you realize. Oh, yeah.
0: I I read the uh uh the published screenplay of this, which uh McCarthy's put out a few of his uh he's he's written two scripts, The Gardener's Son and this, and he's written a few plays. And I want to say that he this isn't one of those things where a lot of times when screenplays are published, they end up being just transcripts of the film. They don't show them like in Soderbergh's Sex Lies and Videotape uh book, he's very distinct of like we're sh- I'm giving you the shooting draft of the script, not a transcript of that. I get the vibe that this is still the first draft McCarthy produced. Uh, McCarthy supposedly wrote this script in five weeks. Yeah, that's what.
1: Yeah, he saw that little featurette where he talked about that. He right. was like, "to a break from writing some other stuff." But uh, yeah, but you, I, I, yeah, because and when he calls it the counselor, it would, that's a to me. If you, th- that's a tip right there. That's a that's a big tip of uh, that. Character
0: is... development isn't a big issue, or yeah,
1: or something's up. You know, and you got to think about why would not why would you not you know normally, uh, Hollywood a typical film with you know everybody's names and blah blah blah. You might get him a backstory.
0: These characters are metaphors.
1: <laughs> so anyway, so he wants he, for some reason he wants uh, some money quickly, and he seems like he's doing okay. And he's partners up with Harvey Bardem. They're gonna. Well, help. he's
0: getting married. Yeah, he's to gonna... Laura, played by Penelope Cruz.
1: And he goes. He has to get a big diamond for it. And he goes, gets a diamond. He uh, he's gonna go in cahoots with uh, Harvey Bardem. They're gonna open up this really state of the art disco. Harvey Bardem has a, a woman in his life, Cameron Diaz, who has two cheetahs as her pets. Malkina is her name. Malkina, yeah, and she is a piece of work and we're definitely going to get into right our, our
0: performance in character
1: and so the uh the counselor makes a decision that i'm going to go into this one he's, he believes he's going to do it one time the the indication is that he hasn't he's pretty much stayed straight arrow so i was
0: i was so vague on exactly is 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 javier bardem and him do, are they pooling money together? Well, let's
1: we'll, we'll get to have, we're gonna get into that because you to, had plot I, issues. That I you have a with. question about that. So anyway, uh, but whatever they do, because they're gonna they, uh, money and drugs are involved. Brad Pitt is a middleman. Comes in. He's kind of this, and they they talk about how they dressed him up as Hank Williams. Uh, that's a. Yeah, they, that's they, what they're doing. They based upon Hank Williams okay. Sr. Uh um, how Hank would dress up in the cowboy outfits.
0: He's a he's a drug dealer with three cords and a VPN.
1: <laughs> so, and uh, you know, Brad says, You do want to do this, and Harvey says, You want to do this? They they give uh the counselor plenty of warning. He goes, Yes, I do want to do this. And of course it goes wrong. Now, we're gonna talk about this at some point here about the what went wrong. But whatever went wrong, the the cartel is now gonna say, uh you're owe us you 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 messed up and you're going to have to pay and Harvey's going to have to pay Brad's going to have to pay and the counselor Fossbinder, is going to have to
0: pay. Do they even say that? There was just suddenly like it goes wrong and then yeah. suddenly it's just like their lives are over yeah, like it, that's that's how the it's movie in. it's like it's not even they offer them to pay. There was like a, a threat of a phone call and then that's but
1: And then amongst this is going on that's the major thing that you see on the on the top level Cameron has done her own thing she's scheming behind Javier, and uh so we see what she's doing and she has her own agenda and uh which comes out and uh and does her own thing and uh and then it uh pretty much ends up in just a big mess of nihilism at the end except for her she actually gets to walk away from it
0: yeah So this movie started out. Um, I remember following when it got announced, and like um, McCarthy wrote it, the script in five weeks. And it was a
1: big deal because it was going. I remember that publicity was like it's straight the film. You know, it's not a it's not one of his books. Right,
0: and, and and there was a like a little bit of a bidding war on it, I think, and then there was an auction for um, who was going to direct it. And Ridley really Scott put his hat in the ring, and and I guess he flew out to El Paso or.
1: Yeah, he'd was, been like to Santa Fe. He, he he had been one Duke. He was interested in Cormac, and he I think he, he was interested in Blood Meridian. Uh-huh. And then he, they they called him up or said, "Hey, we got the script." He read it over the weekend. and Said, "I want to do it." Right. He just you know,
0: quick. And then I do remember it was such a big deal that all these names signed on, including Javier Bardem, who famously played Anton Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. He was coming back to play a McCarthy role. That was that was a big deal.
1: Uh, small budget. Uh-huh. Uh, it was not that big a budget, and. Uh, uh, and considering the four stars, uh, I think they all took a cut sounds like just to make this thing work. They also,
0: I mean, this is also a period where Hollywood in particular is very re- uh, reverential of McCarthy after No Country for Old Men. And are you a fan of the Road movie?
1: Uh, I like the road. I liked uh, No Country. Yeah, I liked everything I've seen of this of stuff adapted. I haven't I unfortunately I have not read the books. I know you have. But... Have
0: you seen uh, Sunset Limited? No, I have not. Okay, that was one. That's one you might want to check out. That's the one Tommy Lee Jones directed. That's got him and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, the hotel room. Thing. Yeah, yeah. But or, I,
1: I wanted to. Never, you know, I, I never came to the theater, so I, I haven't. I don't to... think it
0: was released theatrically. It, it's um, it's weird because it's presented. People always call it a play, but like the subtitle on the book is a uh, um, a novel in dramatic form. So they like I guess it, it came out at the same time as the road and they're supposed to be companion pieces to each other but I, I
1: I'm glad think, you reminded me I'm see if it's on I think disc. that's the
0: screenplay credit of his too so that proceeds this is definitely not Cormac McCarthy's yeah. first script um
1: yeah the books get so much attention they they really wanted to uh, they really made play that up but I was just really impressed with the uh the cast and, and again I, I walked out going why is that, or why are people talking about this and of course you know the concentration we got talk about the one scene that gets so much over...
0: Uh, Does it get over-attention? Because it is my favorite scene. <laughs> I think I think that's amazing. We're talking about the car scene? Yes,
1: yes. Cameron Diaz, uh, at some point... point uh, And it's interesting, too, because the film is uh, really just straight linear, but this is a flashback. Well, one the yeah, that's, it's the first flashback. I think it's okay. the one and only... Fl- okay, there well, there we, might be one other, but...
0: Okay, I actually... I do like this movie a lot, but at the same time, I find this movie more interesting, but also odd.
1: And it is odd.
0: It is odd. That's why it's it makes it... very distinct and very interesting. Yeah. Like, it's odd. Like, the, screen, the screenwriting style in particular. Like, McCarthy had kind of... A, everyone wanted to jump on board. And there's something about this. This movie has a lot of two-head talking scenes. And uh, it's not a lot of plot progression talking no, scenes. No, it's, like, it's it, heavy. It's
1: dialogue. Yeah, I mean, like...
0: It's well, even early on, uh, on, on the commentary, Ridley Scott comments on the fact that, like, this five minutes into the movie, you have, like, a 11-minute scene ooh, talking about diamonds. And it's a weird because, like, in its way, when Cameron Diaz, like, she looks at the diamond and she's an expert in diamonds, they, in, into the movie she talks about diamonds as a currency, it has this vibe of being the inciting incident, actually. Like, it's weirdly uh, the obsession with money is what starts out but at the same time the movie is just one long dialogue scene after another and it's a very you know what style i thought of like the closest uh, antecedent i could think of is tarantino and but even then like the only time i've seen other screenwriters do this they're usually writer directors i was thinking of someone like uh martin mcdonough kind of can write like this and uh, William Monahan, who wrote The Departed, his uh, s- his second directed movie, Mojave, like this reminds me a lot of that style, where long, philosophical. It may not push the story forward. But...
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I'm totally. Agree- I'm. am I'm, I'm. Everything you're saying, I totally agree with. I mean, I could at any point I could just jump in and say, yeah, 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 because uh, it's got uh, that. Maybe why people didn't take to it. Uh, you know, in uh, this day and age of franchise movies and and uh, well, action you, movies, you think
0: it's an audience deficiency or not?
1: I mean, like, it, it, yeah, because I mean, even I, I can't, I, I, I had to sit there that whole scene. He, Bruno Gantz, love him, shows up. Uh, the wonderful Bruno Gantz shows up as, as the diamond dealer. He's just the diamond dealer too. He's not. He has no name. Yeah. And Fox Peterson by this giant, expensive diamond ring for Penelope and also they're talking about the western civilization mm-hmm. and the and jews and uh and stuff like this and i'm just like what and i had to play mm-hmm. it back a little bit and listen to it mm-hmm. and i still don't understand all of it my I,
0: favorite line from that scene is uh the diminished brevity of our lives
1: <laughs> but i loved it because at, you're, you're sitting on the, i'm sitting on the edge of my seat going you know obviously we're mccarthy and the screenwriter and ridley are trying there's something going on here that we should you know and the metaphorical ideal of what's going on here and so you want to try to uh break it down and and, and listen to it and so also I'm, I'm I'm like that for the entire film uh, and they don't yeah Javier did no but nobody talks like normal in this
2: thing
0: right well this this gets to one of my theories is that while I'm glad Ridley Scott directed a Cormac McCarthy novel or screenplay I don't know especially the beginning He's right for this. And I started thinking about him, uh, a, a intensely dialogue-based movie. These scenes have very little tension in them. There's just nothing, propos- especially the front-loaded. The movie, for me, structurally, seems to peak in the middle. Like it, it, it seems like the dialogue scenes go away in the middle of the movie when all the st- st- shit starts blowing up. And then towards the end of the movie, they start coming back. Hmm. And almost like structures itself towards. Yeah, the mid- I'm not.
1: I'm not sure if I'm. No, I'm. Not, I'm not sure. I'm totally because I, I, I was gonna say. I think this is one of Ridley's. At the time, I'm like, oh, this is a really good Ridley Scott film. To me, it, it almost, I, it, it, I, almost I, it almost, it almost, it almost rejuvenated my fandom for him. Me because at the time Promethea was good. I mean, uh, and of course Promethea and Covenant. It's kind of they're kind of frustrated. That's that's a whole other tangent here. But uh, he was getting you know the Exodus and Robin Hood. I was just like they were just kind of sitting there. Uh, the Kingdom was what's the one called the uh, Kingdom of Heaven,
0: kingdom of which Heaven. I, that's also written by William Monahan and another great example of the extended version being yeah. a significantly better ver- movie.
1: But they were just kind of like just washing over me without not you know not giving me this you know that original Ridley Scott rush I used to have back when we first started with Blade Runner and, and even uh, someone to watch over me. I remember thinking the visual uh, style of that. So all of a sudden, it comes this little film with these actors and this script, and I'm just like, it was I it was it's juicy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're giving
0: really Scott credit. He's still a great filmmaker, and there's still some great work in this movie. I just think that, like, and later, you're, you're pinpointing something that's... Uh, in later years he's he's been more it's his his taste that's on display it's what he chooses to make but there's certain instances really Scott is very infamously a multi-camera shooter and he considers him a, himself a fast shooter and you and I have talked about this before i think i've talked about it on here i put him in the category of like spielberg and eastwood of like they're they're people who can get anything they want made pretty much so they make a lot of first draft scripts it feels like and they make fast and they're very fast shooters and they pride themselves on being fast shooters and sometimes that's not necessarily a great
1: thing well yeah and i, I thought of that actually that's, I, that thoughts crossed my mind if you, especially if you watch the auto commentary ridley actually talks about that and and he talks about how saving time and money and getting done and getting nine, uh, nine pages done in one day, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking I was my first thinking in the mind was Clint Eastwood, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how Clint's just so you know so uh, let's get done so I can go play golf, you know. Uh, and, and, Spiel-
0: and Spielberg's not that bad with it, but I th- my feeling is that like there's a there's a thing with directors from my experience working with them that is overrated and misguided where people like decisiveness in directors. They don't necessarily, it doesn't matter if their decisions are good. And, and like really Scott clearly has this idea. Like, I just don't want to overthink a lot of the movie. I want to go on instinct on so much of it.
1: And let me throw this at you because I'm just thinking it's just, it's just another, it's, we got these, we have different flavors of directors, you know, and you're like you said, Eastwood Spielberg, Scott, that's what you're going to get with them, and, you got, and then you got you know someone like you know Mr. You know Kubrick or some other you know directors that go or Fincher who just you know wanted or, or all actually all but I love that story about you know Warren you know wanted to keep on doing more takes and, and all men going just, home okay fine Warren go at it I'm going home I got what I wanted you know <laughs> and uh, I was became Mrs. Miller they were shooting yeah um, so you know I, I I but I think this works I mean I I don't
0: um... no 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 I think the movie works yeah. I'm trying to get to. It's, it's it's just an interesting beast. Uh, it's clear, really, Scott's very reverent, and everyone involved with it is very reverential, the fact that they're getting to work on a Cormac McCarthy script.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of do- juicy dialogue that talk. And like I said, people don't like to talk like this in real life uh and that's what's so fun. It's kind of the fun of it I mean it, it's a movie people it's a movie it's a book it, it's a screenplay it's let's have fun no doesn't every, you're gonna get, you, you could have your you know your streamlined modern day Hollywood film and your old Hollywood film you can have a documentary you can have fartsy stuff but uh let's let's have this let's have this flavor you I'm know? not
0: saying it's an either or decision uh, it's just like w- just the first I, scene alone like it's odd for someone with such a great eye someone with such a visual director to be directing sh- shot reverse shot talking mm-hmm. heads direct like have you heard people frame it dragnet style editors talk dragnet as like the model of like mm-hmm. When you're editing, if you have two heads talking, you cut to whoever's talking, and then you cut to the other person talking. You never cut to whenever someone's not talking. It's just such a very basic TV level.
1: Well, can I, can I mention that? Can I interrupt on that and say those three deleted scenes? We Okay. The three deleted Let me clear something. If you buy the Blu-ray, there's a theatrical cut which I did not watch again. I watched the extended cut. And you
0: and I, I both saw the theatrical cut when when this first back when it, yeah, yeah, when it came out.
1: God, ages ago now. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember. Uh, when I'm watching it now, it was almost like watching again new. So I, I'm not sure. I, I think a couple things. Like, oh, this is new, seems like. But the, uh, the weird thing is, this is an extended cut we're watching. And I noticed that in the featurettes, there are two scenes they're shooting. They're not in the extended cut. That's... Uh, Fassbender's in the desert, obviously walking in his uh, that last suit he's wearing. Uh huh. That's that. I don't know that. That's never used. Yeah. And then the other scene is her uh, Cameron on her knees in a black dress, looks like she's trying to get her cheetah back. Uh, That's not that. I think I don't know about him walking in the desert.
0: I think that second scene is in the Mm. the published screenplay.
1: No, no, not in the movie.
0: In the screenplay.
1: Now, whether those two scenes are in the theatrical cut. I,
0: I I'm almost curious because uh, I would be surprised if that, they didn't make the the, unre- the uh, extended cut and that okay
1: and, and and what I've just described those two scenes we just see snippets in the featurette. We don't even see them how they were cut or how they were done now you put in the theatrical cut disc, which I did by mistake the first night I was watching this and i so I went ahead and watched there's three deleted scenes on the theatrical cut disc. the three deleted scenes are not in the extended cut mm
0: there, there, and they're
1: edited differently. And they're edited like you're talking about. The more, reason I'm writing up now is because the back, the, your, what do you call it? The uh, back shot reverse shot. Shot reverse shot, he's playing with it in those scenes. They're, they're, they, Penelope's talking to this guy in an airport. There's a lot and of more. dialogue. And she's talking, but her face is not Right, right. And, uh, and then there's another scene where he, uh, the other deleted scene, uh, Harvey M is meeting camera. For, it looks like the first time they ever met. In this deleted scene, uh-huh. uh, the start the relationship, and it almost makes me think that it, it, it was Tony. Uh, there's this couple of shots of color.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking that's that's got. That's and like, well, the, the most interesting shot they have in there is they have this like overhead, like a drone. All, watching.
1: Well, all three end. Two have been with video, and the third one has audio of it, uh, of this drone's air surveillance going on. And I'm like, where, you know, was that? And I'm thinking, is that in the theatrical cut or is this it just got discarded totally? Hmm. So. Um, Why
0: do you have any theory?
1: Why? No, that's I just wanted that I wanted to bring that up for discussion. It's really curious because, like I said, the main reason I'm bringing it up now is just because I wanted to kind of uh, counterpoint your fact that you know really just doing a back and forth uh, talking shot, and he actually was playing with it in that airport sequence, Mm. uh, very uh, you know almost like dark to the on testosterone testosterone i
0: I think a lot of my critique uh isn't that it was that this is a bad movie because of it it's just one of those things that was definitely threw me off on first viewing i think threw a lot of people off on first viewing because i mean like even the cut down of the first opening scene the bed sex scene which uh again there's just so many cuts in that scene and it seems like a chase scene especially in the theatrical one but like they, I mean, it's an open conversation of like how wet her pussy is, and <laughs> like uh, the it ends with a great yeah. line of "You have the was it the most magnificent pussy in all of Christendom." Like as long as you get Christendom in there, that word in there, you know McCarthy's writing it. And we should we
1: should tell the people that uh, at home listen to this that uh, very R-rated discussion um, that um, it opens up before the title credits even come up. It's uh, uh, Michael and Penoply are in bed under the sheets always uh, totally under the sheets covered up and having uh sex and talking sex. Uh which no, they're just talking. Uh right. I which, I also thought I'm thinking why do we want to open with this and why do we want to have this it, it establishes the relationship but also I'm thinking the I'm thinking about shrouds. They're both of them are, are covered in a white shroud.
0: Mm that's a good point. Uh, well I First question: uh, Did you have you did you find out anything? If was Penelope Cruz pregnant when they shot? Oh, her you saw wife?
1: that. Yeah, you think of that one sequence—the red dress. She's kind of. She looks like she's.
0: Well, uh, I started thinking back. Like they don't show. They shoot her from uh, chest up. Almost probably like, oh, that was very
1: well be. But anyway, you said you, you you were a little mystified when you walked out of the theater when you first saw it, or?
0: I thought it was underrated. I could clearly tell it was an interesting movie that had some great stuff in it. I thought it was, like you said, with uh, Ridley Scott making these, like, $100 million anonymous movies. Like, a few weeks ago, we had this uh, talk about Exodus, and both of us couldn't even remember, like, or I, like, did he make a movie, yeah. that movie? Like, it, he's, it's weird how he just, he's, Although that being said, he hasn't made a feature since uh, the uh, the Kevin Spacey one.
1: Yeah, it, uh, a feature. Yeah, the uh, 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 all the money in the world. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting, but I I remember too. I walked out mystified too. I was I was walking out scratching my head, but I go, but it was a good scratching a head. It was a, it was it, to me. It was like one of those, you know. I don't know if I get this, but I really liked it for some reason. It, it, it really has this, uh, and, and I think that's when people a lot of people just you know if they, if it, it makes them it, it, it's too offbeat and too wonky uh they just want to shut down or they want to talk uh, they, don't, they don't like it or uh and i you know i, I guess going back to eric Braceman's class you know don't don't just say it's dumb or stupid or bad just think about it for a while and, yeah and digest you, it. you know
0: what i've been thinking lately when it comes to film criticism or just even talking to someone about film value judgments are the cheapest form <laughs> of like just it it doesn't matter if a movie it, it, you think a movie's good or bad what is it about what is it doing describe it you know yeah. go into detail don't just say good or bad that does nothing for
1: me and there are nuggets to, the the glean out of this film about life it of course it's it's so pitched at such a high artistic level in this film but you could take things out of that and go Apply it to yourself uh, in a, in an in, in an interesting way.
0: Oh, I actually got a question for you. Do you remember a line in the movie? Um, greed is overrated, but fear isn't. Is that in the movie? No, it, I thought
1: there's the one where he goes. Greed is uh, describing greed.
0: There's a there's some descriptions of greed, but
1: that might be. You know, but I'm I'm thinking there's another one about what that's. He goes that's not what greed is. Greed is this.
0: This know? is this. This gets to one of the things that. Um, Again, I don't want to be seem like I'm negative on the movie. It's just certain disconnects, I think, between McCarthy and Scott's style. But I think that that line's cut out of the movie. It's in the script. And not only is it in the script, but in a different paperback version of the sc- the screenplay, that line is on the cover of the, the screenplay. And I don't think it's in the movie. And one of the things is just Scott is very clearly interested in more the greed morality play of everything. And I think the morality play aspects of Cormac McCarthy's writing is more later years. It's more no, no country for old men and after. And there's more, I think the nihilistic, cruel world aspect to everything is, in, is more, like g- greed is in the Mexican guitar cartel seems like a thing we've seen many times. And these greedy characters made one tragic mistake that got them involved with uh, something over their heads. Yeah, I, I
1: actually wrote down on, uh, greed slash grief. And there's this one I wish I'd have written it down because he goes, "She says or he, Javier. or She says like you know, greed is uh, uh, greed uh, is that?" And he goes, no, "No, no, no, greed is this." Uh, and I can't I can't remember the specifics, but yeah, uh, but yeah, but I, I that's I was gonna say there's something about the Southwest brings out such interesting things, you know, I'm thinking of Bring me the, Peck and Paul comes to mind, Bring me the head of Frank Garcia, and, uh, uh, the getaway, how it ends, and, uh, and, and, uh, and the trash, and, and Neil, and, and, uh, the, the desolation, and the, uh, and the, just the grief, greed is, yeah, a big proponent of this thing, I mean, that's what the whole, I guess the whole, isn't the whole film a metaphor about greed, uh,
0: I, I and that's what I is, guess, is, is it, I
1: is the road and these other books play into that uh, is he
0: I don't think so I mean grief I think is more he's more of a grief like, guy well, well there's grief in this too I think see the other thing reason like I don't think I think really Scott I mean I know I imagine he's obviously Red Blood Meridian and but there's He it feels like he got this template from No Country the movie mm. and it's just like there's much more interesting stuff going on like um, but at the same time, it's that weird. It, it, it ends up working in a weird way because really, Scott shoots this movie like a commercial, like a very <laughs> consumerist capitalist commercial. And there's these cheap Mexican jokes throughout the movie of uh, you know, what what's why didn't why wasn't Jesus born in Mexico was one of the jokes they made. And it becomes clear that when you look at the drug trade in America versus Mexico. Like there's two sides to it. There's in basic economics, there's supply and demand. And if Mexico is supplying the drugs, the demand is coming from America. And it seems like McCarthy, I feel like, is more interested in the rotting uh, underneath of of what's uh, uh, throughout all this consumerism, too.
1: Yeah, I. Um, but he wants to philosophize about it. You know, that's the thing he wants to bring in these little uh, uh, heavy. Uh, you know, another person I was thinking, I don't know why, but I was thinking of, uh, you know, nobody talks like Woody Allen films either. You know, it, it, somebody, it, it, the the whole sequence with Brad and Michael talking and the whole sequence with the, with the Diamond Dealer and, My, and Michael Fassbender talking. Uh, even, oh, then we got, how about when Cameron goes to the uh, priest?
0: The, okay, whenever um, they're, uh, Penelope Cruz and Cameron Diaz are uh, getting massages, do they talk about Catholicism in that scene?
1: Yeah, well, she talks about she talks about a religion. I don't know if this is Catholicism per se. Uh, she talks about going to confession. So yeah, I mean, Okay. mean, uh, I don't and because that
0: and, can, that scene in the script, I remember more de- detailed setting up her going to confession. Although yeah, that seems, she's she's intrigued and and she it writes, Edgar Ramirez uh, is the priest in that scene.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, what's wonderful too, the, and throughout this film, another thing, reason, guys, that uh, folks out there listening, that watch this film, is a lot of cool cameos show up. Rosie Perez shows up in it, and. This is a nice little part. And- it's
0: interesting you bring up Rosie Perez. The The other thing that I think that McCarthy is interested in is uh, there's a lot of cheap machismo in some of the earlier... Uh, like They keep talking about women being this, women being that, and it's two men talking, and they throw away these lines and it doesn't seem to apply. And women seem... The, I, I remember this from the first reading. Women are the secret underbelly of this movie. Well, like, yeah. They're, like, Rosie Perez, her... Acting in just that one scene. I mean, she's the one that sets off this story out of going out of his rails.
1: Yes. Uh, we, and know, does that,
0: she know what she's doing in that scene? Because when I watched it and watched her performance this last time, I was like, I think she knows what she's doing.
1: You could go down that avenue uh, really easily. Because I think that's the thing Ridley and Cormac withhold so much information from you, the viewer, backstories and other things. That uh, that's maybe another frustration for uh, uh, why he didn't do well because it's just so much withheld, uh, and you got to do a lot of work, uh, or you want to, or try to do some work, bring some of yourself. To you
0: it. have to figure out details in these long scenes. And are- Rosie,
1: yeah, I didn't even thought about that. Uh, there's a lot, yeah. You could probably think about that scene a lot. And speaking of the Rosie Perez, I also like you said about the women in this movie. I like the fact uh, you. you you said there's you know the just the, a lot of back and forth talking dialogue, but there's these little tiny things that happen when her son is killed, which, which is
0: which is one of the best scenes in the movie, and
1: which and uh, it's a very interesting yeah uh, interesting set piece uh, how he gets killed uh, and uh, and uh, that sets off things going totally wrong for everybody. Uh, the minute he gets killed, she's in prison. She wakes up, mm-hmm. and it's one of those where you think uh, you've heard about people uh, having dreams or spiritual awakenings or a vibe that happens when somebody that you love dearly can be far away and something happens to them and you feel it somehow. Mm -hmm. That is in there. And and I'm thinking, and it seemed to come out to me, it was like, oh, that's interesting. And of course it cuts to another scene right after that, that uh, Penelope wakes up, kind of gets up and makes her phone call to Cameron Mm -hmm. uh, back to back. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, there's something here going on uh, it's interesting and it's kind of a, a weird spiritual uh, that's not in line with the other things in the movie. And then I lost going back to Cameron, the women, but maybe one more thing here. I love at the beginning when the first scene we see Cameron and uh, Harvey and, and they're watching the cheetahs uh, hunt and they're out on a little picnic or whatever. And then she goes, there it goes. And the sun goes down. Real quick,
0: I didn't. I didn't catch that.
1: Yeah, and it's almost like she's had a, It's almost like a, breaks the fourth wall to be in that way. She goes, "There it goes."
0: She has a, a repeating character where she's eating a lot. She talks about being hungry. The final line of the movie That's is, "I'm banished." Um, her character, okay, Penelope Cruz's character, as far as I can tell, is the only non the the only guileless woman in the movie. Guile seems to be a big thing that he, that McCarthy is attributing to a lot of the women, mainly Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz has this cheetah tattoo going up her her back which I feel really bad because reading some of the initial reviews when I first saw it I thought it was some kind of cougar joke or something but it's a it's an interesting choice uh very infamously she's playing a character I want to say she's Jamaican she's not American because she comments on America and supposedly the rumor was that she originally did the entire performance in this very Rihanna-esque Jamaican uh, accent and they redubbed her entire performance to get it out of it. And she wasn't
1: really happy, and accordingly, apparently, didn't po- help publicize it because she was so upset about that. Uh, did we? Did we finish uh, talking about the car scene with her?
0: No, I was. I, kinda, <laughs> I, wa- get- I
1: wanted to give a whole section on the car scene. Oh. The car
0: scene. I. I do mean, we, do you, we- you seem like you think it's cheap that everyone loves the car scene.
1: No, no, I don't think. I don't people. I don't think people did love it. I think that's what that was the breaking point. I think that, that's the scene that made this film uh, people not like it or it it went overboard or it went off the rails or it was stupid and silly or it's crazy. uh, And I'm thinking. Or as Javier Bardem says, too gynecological. Yeah. And I just thought, really? I mean, yeah, it is outrageous. Totally. But that's part of the point. Uh, and, And it's part of her character and so there, I, I
0: there, there's a line uh, exchange at the end of the scene that I think typifies the movie uh, Fassbender asks does this have anything to do with the deal and Javier Bardem says I, I don't know I,
1: I, yeah I think isn't it one of the features or something that's a lot of his lines I don't, don't know Javier
0: Bardem <laughs> says the central line of his character is I don't know
1: yeah and uh, you should talk about how he, uh, Harvey is just wonderful in this thing he has his hair <laughs> Up like Brian Glacier, he based it on Brian <laughs> Glacier. It is Brian
0: Glacier's hair. Yeah, oh and, he, he,
1: he totally based it on that. And uh, uh, his because well, bo- really Scott keeps calling it blingy. Yeah. He
0: just keeps saying blingy.
1: Yeah, and he and and uh, I love uh, his body language the entire film. He's jittery, and he's got this kind of looseness to him. And I'm almost because uh, because uh, the set piece about the 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 courier, the son, how he dies. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking almost like Harvey is almost like his head is not attached. (laughs) Because you watch his head and he's doing a lot of, you know. Well,
0: because beheading, beheading, that that goes back to the cartel thing I was talking about just because it's just that bizarre, stereotypical, savage drug dealers who are constantly going to beheading and like so many characters lose their head. (sighs) Uh, Brad Pitt's demise at the end is, is an amazing scene, but his like, when he's lifted, it, uh, Which is
1: I think in the sneak cut. I don't remember that in the theatrical. You don't? it's no, in the, it's I, in the I, screenplay. Yeah, but it's not in the theatrical. I, in fact, Ridley, if she goes, yeah, I think we went too far. There. <laughs> it's like oh no, it,
0: it's such a great moment in the script. Ooh. I'm glad that was in the extended. Yeah. That it's it's,
1: but it's. so we go back to do we do. Do we need to finish? Do we do the so cartoon? Car you want cartoon? Well, I just say, no. I guess it makes when we told. We basically we told the, our listening audience. Basically, she goes. She takes her underwear off. They're in a jaguar? I think uh I think it's a jaguar. That makes sense. With the uh, with the cat yeah. theme. But she there's they're parked in, out somewhere and she takes her underwear off. And he calls he, he calls them knickers. Do uh do uh Mexicans call
0: There is a lot of odd <laughs> Britishisms coming in and out. There. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah.
1: Uh and she gets uh she's a, she's a, she makes basically she makes love to the car.
0: She she straddles the car. Ridley Scott had to get a dancer to test out if like, this uh, was physically a gymnast. Yeah. If this, yeah. this was physically possible, and uh, when this episode comes out, I haven't told you this yet, but the image accompanying the, the episode is going to be that the central image, which I think is a great image, just because it's a uh, a woman fake trying to sell sex on top of a man and a man <laughs> looking on confused. I feel like that's a very central image for this movie. Yeah,
1: yeah, but yeah, if you and you watch the features, uh, they they actually show the gymnast uh, going uh, practicing. That sequence of the ground with a bunch of mechanics around, standing right going, What the heck are you doing? But yeah, so that it's a scene that really kind of like, I think that's what everybody was talking about and concentrating and just thought it just and almost like it, that ruined the film or that just went too far or that was too silly. And I'm just thinking, Are you watching the same film I'm watching? I mean, right. I, I don't know. Uh, there, there, There's good, bad shit and there's bad, bad shit. Yeah. That's good, bad shit. <laughs> so uh again, it's 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 at that level where, yeah, I was kind of like i was I was still I was like, oh my
0: gosh, what's going on here? I, I really do think this movie peaks in the middle, but oh. the, but but not in a bad way. I'm saying it in the middle stuff, there's some amazing stuff.
1: Well, I guess we got to get to the other thing I was going Because I, I said, should I talk to you before we started recording this? But the plot... And again, I don't think it's really that important because you get so much... Uh, uh, the characters and what they're saying is more important than anything else. That's so
0: true. That's, uh, that's a good point.
1: And so... But you basically... When he makes the deal, he, he needs a big a chunk of money. And Brad Pitt's the go-between. We see a truck loaded up with drugs... And it's and it's made to look like it's a septic uh, tank truck, which has got tons and tons of it's got
0: waste around it. waste. Yeah, yeah.
1: so that it's uh, then it gets hijacked, it gets stolen
0: by Cameron Diaz by Cameron Diaz's workers. people. Yeah.
1: Okay, so now she's double she's uh, doing something behind her, her boyfriend Javier's uh, back because she, she knows this is going on and she's doing okay so i guess well she's in it for her own self and doesn't care about him as much uh as he thinks she does as he would like her to do mm-hmm. so now she's got it then the cartel people come up and take it.
0: And, get it and they get it back
1: oh i see now that's where i think if they get it back then why do they want to kill everybody
0: they just wanted an excuse or something. I, it's, I it's, think it's,
1: it's, I, I, there rival cartel. See, this, maybe you need to school me a little bit. I don't know. I have to. I, I thought I should look this up. I assume there's multiple cartels and they're all fighting against each other, right. right? And over territory, over who makes the most money. So I'm thinking it's another cartel that gets it.
0: Okay, but they They, they we don't detail that.
1: No, no, yeah, because it gets all the way to Chicago, and there's another cameo. Can, uh,
0: John Leguizamo and Dean Norris.
1: Yeah, and. Uh, and a, a wonderful little scene there too about the a we a little a humor, dark, 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 dark humor about drug dealers, and a body. Yeah, that's the, the that's the humor. Uh, the uh, I ruined your joke, Ted. No, 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 I no. Remember. That's no. I, I, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's what the humor is about. The, is the body, um, but um, the uh, so now I'm thinking. Okay, so this rival cartel has it. That's why this the cartel that. Uh, the council was dealing with is pissed off, because they don't have they're not getting anything out of it, and that's why they have to die. Everybody has to die. Uh, but but then again, like you said, about uh, like the Rosie Perez, like you said earlier about the Rosie Perez, there she could be on this thing in a, in a different layer. Yeah, the, 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 the cartel came back and said, "Screw it, we're just gonna get right. rid of these people." But, you know, I don't. You know, why would they want to get? Uh, oh, in, in fact, might, you might be right. They wanted to kid. Uh, they wanted only to kidnap. Uh, Harvey Bardem and the guy actually shoots him in the head and well, he's bad. Did,
0: did they want to kidnap him or did they want to get him alive so that they could torture him or behead him for video?
1: Yeah, or kidnap him for whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, there could be multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so, so again, I, I say all this I don't want to scare people off. Like, well, if you can't get any conclusions out of it, then I don't. Why should I, you know, bother watching it? That's not the point. Again, it's That's not, not the, point. the point of the movie. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's more the 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 emotional uh, and the uh, philosophical uh, elements of this film to get to you and 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 to make you think about this.
0: It gets tricky for me just because it feels like the cartel are treated like. Um, uh, a malevolent force or death coming, which yeah. de- death is a big part of McCarthy things. But a lot of my knowledge of the cartels, all it comes is from like movies. <laughs> Ozarks. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Don Winslow Power of the Dog trilogy. Although I've only read the last two, but they're they're amazing books. I, I really re- highly recommend those, even though they're kind of, to be fair, little airport books. He's the guy that's writing, by the way, um, the Heat prequel. From oh Michael Mann. man, yeah.
1: Uh, what about uh, and then yeah Rosie Perez another cameo uh, another cameo with the the, head of the cartel. Well,
0: who is the cartel? Ruben Blades. Oh, yeah, wonderful he, little. Uh, he gives a and he he. um And then again, it's, philosophical it's, speech. It's it's
1: almost to the point where you just
0: you feel he starts talking about the Mexican poet.
1: Yeah, and he is going on and on, and and, and you're you're actually you're, you're feeling for the counselor because the counselor this time Fossman are He's well, at his, what are the he said it's said his end. You know, he said he knows his and and and, and, and Ruben Blade's going
0: right before this, basically what I found fascinating was when they know everything's going south, they still hang around for a long period of time. And I also noted that like they're all sitting in like the highest in hotels, they're drinking.
1: Oh yeah, highest there, in there, al- there's yeah, you're right. I mean, there's there was a great sequence where the, it's all gone, it's going downhill, and Harvey is just stretched out on a, a lounger with a martini or whatever. I'm just right. like, are you kidding me? I would get, I'd gather everything I had and get my butt out of there. There's you know?
0: definitely something to this, like decadence of American consumerism being on display, which is, again, like as much as I was saying earlier, really, Scott, there's some, ch- I don't think it's that he's the wrong choice, there was just some decisions on some of the dialogue scenes that I'm like, they felt very half-baked, and then stuff like this works where, I mean, it feels like an Armani commercial in <laughs> so much of the movie, and then suddenly the scene you're talking about where the Vossbender, like, he, up in, he hasn't been able to give. Uh, he's doing a cipher performance for most of the movie, where like he just keeps like especially at the beginning. He just talks to another person who's telling him an interesting story about something, and then that scene is when he finally gets to. I don't know if it's, I'm saying it just because he gets to cry and and let snot go over his mouth, but
1: it's yeah. He it's acts. A, a, he's li- yeah he's listening to stories and he, he gets the. Uh... Uh, the car, uh, uh, camera making, uh, love to the car was a, a flashback that Harvey had tells. So he gets, we get to see it. Harvey tells another story uh, at the uh, disco, and we don't go to a flashback for it. We just have to listen. We got to rely on Ridley's editing, uh, directing, and editing of it uh, for the Harvey telling him. So there's different choices he's making here. Again, I I just remember i think one reason i in retrospect thinking about it uh how much i walked out of it thinking i just it just seems so fresh and wonky and the fact look at how we're talking about it right now isn't this kind of a this is isn't this what you want to film to do sometimes to, to get you to initiate this as opposed to just like you go in and you you sit back and it washes over you and you walk out and you go yeah that was okay well but.
0: to your point earlier about comparing this to the homogenous like uh, normal movie you would expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it, it this is this is a movie with character and um that Pauline Kale quote we both love uh, uh uh what's it not all great movies are perfect. No great movie is a perfect yeah.
1: movie. Um yeah, and uh, if you want to put it another way, here's one thought, here's another weird thought I crossed when I watched this Shane was <laughs> it's a it's a uh nihilistic James Bond film. <laughs> <laughs> Because you got, I can you got, kind of see you get, you got, you know, it could be a great Bond. Uh, if you want to watch, uh, what's the Soderbergh film where he has the hotel fight scene?
0: Oh my God, I'm uh, blinking on the one with the uh, former Disney employee yeah, Gina Carano, the canceled out career of her. Yeah, um, that that is that is such an amazing fight scene. Yeah, and he, and
1: you see him Tux, and it's like, oh, he could be Bond so easily. Uh, but it, it's like you know, he's he's, he's James Bond, and, he, and there's diamonds, and there's uh, uh, action set pieces, and there's uh the the high the women the, the good women the bad women it's like it's like it's like a you just like knocked it over a little bit and you got this kind of weird ears at James Bond film that deals with you know in the evil and then I also thought another nice little spin off you could go straight from this go to watch uncut gems oh, straight out. and just that, take you know yeah it would be a good double feature just you know take the, the where you're at with uh the this is the film and then just you know, going to 10th gear with uncut gems out of it, you know. <laughs> so, uh, I
0: one reason, uh, diagnosis I have of why you, this guy one of the, the you read a little bit of the original reviews from this, right? When a little it bit, you,
1: not much. I didn't go
0: as far as I can tell. This is the only time Cormac McCarthy has written something contemporary because the thing is that he was known for incubating his novels for a long period of time. Like, uh, the the new novel that supposedly that has been finished, he was working on supposedly for 30 years. No Country for Old Men, I think. No Country for Old Men, I think, takes place either in the late 70s or early 80s. But you you know No Country for Old Men started out as a screenplay, right? No, I didn't know that. He started out as a screenplay and McCarthy then turned it into a novel. And there felt like... I think just the artifice, like you were talking about, Woody Allen movies don't. Uh, no one sounds like they do in a Woody Allen movie. The the writerliness of it let people think there was still like this um, uh, bubbled in aspect to uh, writing contemporary life that isn't exactly. I don't know if it's the artifice or it just feels like it was a detachment from real life. Um, I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: I'm not sure. I'm gonna follow you on that. Uh, I mean, I, I think about what well, th- you make me. You make it. You prompted me to think about how no country ends, and again, you get this. You get this whole dialogue sequence, which I think for some people, uh, they they. You
0: he, you partic- in particular. It a whole we said we had this thing about what movies end so surprisingly that they uh, just suddenly end. You oh my not gosh! Yeah, it.
1: that. Well, I love the story because we watched it. Uh, it was I was watching it with an employee screening at uh, the theater. And it caught us all so off guard, and it was one of the first films we had ever seen on digital. They were projecting it digitally. The guy, the, the, the uh, manager screening it goes, "Well, I can play that sequence back." He runs up, and we watched it again because we were just so th- so thrown off by that. But I think that's that either breaks it, or makes audiences on that film. And then I woke up. Or they, yeah, they do or they don't they, they want to just cut that film off and don't even worry about that sequence. Uh, and I think that actually enc- encompasses what goes on through the entire. Film of the, uh, the Ridley Scott film. You
0: the know? point I was making a second ago is yeah. That go back they, to what they what were time? they there was accusations in some of the early reviews that they were old men out of touch. Ridley Scott and Cormac McCarthy were old men out of touch.
1: Out touch of touch from what?
0: Well, like the quaintness, of, the, the unsexy quaintness of oh. the, or the uh, first scene, um, the way the cartel was handled in the movie. I uh, I,
1: I would say that that the hope opening sequence it's it's very blunt and frank sex talk. And Ridley says...
0: I think that's one of those ones that it's more in the unrated
1: cut. Yeah. And Ridley said that he, you know, he, he doesn't like to shoot sexy. They you go, know, they're boring. I mean, it's that what... And, 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 and what do people... How do people that are that close to each other talk? I'm like, it's real. Did,
0: did you see that uh, interview with McCarthy on the DVD where he was complaining about like I feel like people in Hollywood have never had sex <laughs> yeah, before? Yeah,
1: yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, he goes, basically he was referring to how people just like all of a sudden just run to a room and just throw their clothes off and attack each other, you know, right off the bat without you know any kind of warm up or any kind of. And he talked about
0: married people really don't have like once you get married in a, mo- a Hollywood movie you stop having sex and you stop talking about sex and you stop not wanting to have sex with your wife. Yeah, you know? um, I so. I, in prep for this, I also read McCarthy's first screenplay, The Gardener's Son, which was, uh, commissioned by a director named Richard Pierce for like a $200,000 movie that aired on PBS and it's got Brad Dorff in it. Um,
1: I what Richard Pierce is ringing the bell for some reason. I'm
0: unfamiliar with them. Did you look him up? Or- no, I didn't. Oh. I mean, he's, no, actually I did. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm blanking. He, he had done some other stuff, but, um, this movie, this movie is very hard to find. Around the time Counselor came out, it was up on YouTube. But it's already been knocked out, but uh, compared to this, No Country, uh, what if you can imagine it in screenplay form? Gardner's son, I wouldn't call it conventional, but it's more, it's it's of the time. Like it was when it was right before Macar- um mccarthy won the uh MacArthur genius grant he'd only written three novels i think at the point, and sutri was about to come out and there's some overlap with sutri in there where like Garner's son like one character is drinking and there's an obsession with parents it's a multi-generation thing it has his book in the mirror scenes to it feels really but like you think of no country as a screenplay like no country still has that like amazing choice to kill Llewellyn halfway through the movie Or little, like, what, three-fifths of the way way through the movie. Like, it still has a left turn. Garner's son doesn't. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I think McCarthy's credited on Sunset Limited, the actual movie, so he's written four screenplays uh, that we know of. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of unmade and unpublished ones, too, but... I mean, I don't really have a point with this. I'm just saying,
1: no. like, was, well, no, and just rattling off his crits. No, it's 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 important because he, I, I remember it was a big deal when the, this movie came out. They just kept on harping about it. It's straight to screen. Straight to screen, and uh, it's you know everybody was getting, uh, and of course I guess I forgot I, you reminded me. I guess the, the the attention you know of No Country was just huge. Uh, of course, you know I I remember uh, working at Channel 14. We we carried Oprah and Oprah. Was all sudden that was her book. That was one of her book of the month clubs. was the road. I made, did I ever tell you? I made my mom read The Road, uh, because of because of
0: Oprah. Yeah, I thought I could sell her on it. Cause of, <laughs> did she? Yeah, she uh. read it. She just said it was weird. Um, <laughs> the I thought she was, I was curious what she was going to think of the end because the, the ending is such so touching. There's a, there's a certain amount of nihilism that went away in McCarthy's stuff, I think, when he's when he had his kid, too, which you know, The Road is written about his kid. But I think um McCarthy's screen the point I was making is his screenwriting career is interesting just because screenwriters never have power. They never have power. And then people very rarely if they come after them to make movies, they usually are or are, are pushed to become directors. Like very few like Charlie Kaufman became a director, as a, as a, but for a while he was one of ones so like every script was a was an event. Aaron Sorkin, he's recently started directing, but every script was an event. Patty Chayevsky is one of the closest ones I can think of of like people came after everything he wrote, and he never wanted to direct or he never pushed into directing. But it's hard. It's very it's very rare for a screenwriter to do something formally different and actually have a director. Follow through on it like Mm. this movie. That's another distinct thing that's uh, really interesting and amazing about this movie.
1: Yeah, and again, I go back. I think it it kind of uh, it charged. I think it charged uh, uh, Ridley's batteries a little bit. Uh, Kind of jostled them a little bit. Maybe keep it on a tight budget. Uh he kept on he kept a harping on um the features about uh save your time you gotta stay, shoot the same location shoot you know don't keep you you, cause you gotta move if you move around a lot you're gonna lose money yeah you're you're, you're eating money up
0: and he he and, found different ways of redressing the same location yeah like one stop. seat one like set the, was
1: like used three different ways just because of camera angles
0: he is i i mean he's really i always think of like the uh, reshoots in blade runner where um the scene whenever deckard finds the scale in the bathtub. That's not Harrison Ford. He just shot a person, a double in silhouette and you can't really tell that it's not Harrison Ford. He's, he's got, he's, he just got so many good tricks and he's good at world building. That's why it's just like the fact that he's just
1: like, I mean, really Scott's 83 years old. Yeah. Well, and the fact that I, I think I was, I didn't think about, I didn't think twice when I watched it in the theater years ago that they were shooting, you know, in Mexican locations and Mexican restaurants and Mexican places. So, Oh the bulk of those buildings and places are in England
0: that blew my mind oh, they in Spain like, like they didn't they sh- there was like what two shots how in America do you pull there's off... all this second unit stuff in America but the, they didn't shoot in the United States
1: yeah. and yeah and how do you pull off London being Mexico yeah. <laughs> I mean that's the magic of cinema there right there there's the magic of movie and, and, and an eye that Ridley has uh and I'd love to see if you watch the feature it's closely. Ridley's constantly moving little things in the set. He's constantly yeah, adjusting stuff, and I'm like, "What? I wonder how many directors really do that." I can. I bet you there's a lot of directors that don't even don't even mess with that. But Ridley? No, he's in there. He's he needs that uh, the placements in ways. Ridley
0: Scott always brags that uh, before either before Duelists and before Blade Runner that he, he made like I don't know uh, th- a certain number thousands of commercials. Yeah. He says like he's because. The reason he's such a multi-camera guy was because Blade Runner seems like such a bad experience for him, where he was so used to being his operator and it was his first American-shot movie, and he was using American unions, and he couldn't operate anymore. And every movie's now like a three-camera setup, and and
1: the multi-cameras. Thinking, who started that? Yeah, that is uh, that been around? Since the dawn of time, or I, because I, I want, I, I want to name a director that, I, of course, I, one of my favorite directors that that I think was known for uh, his use of multi cameras. Lester. But, yeah, uh, that's one reason he that he can edit the way he edits because he was always uh, had he, he. The argument. I thought he was early. I think he was one of the early uh, users of multiple cameras.
0: I don't. I mean, I don't know. The, the, see the the purity argument against uh, multi camera versus single camera is that. Basically, you you divide your attention on the visual that you're trying to get for the scene, and you're um, you're parting, you you're, you're, you're um, um, sectioning off different areas of your frame because you have to hide a camera and. A lot of purists like to think that it's more pure to have single camera. And like Roger Deacons, uh, the, the cinematographer, will never shoot multi camera. He never wants to shoot multi camera. Has Godar if... always
1: been one camera, you think? I don't know. I, I don't curiously. know about that one. Um,. Yeah.
0: Well, Godard would make sense just because multicameras, I mean, I guess it would make the sitcom is the source of, of mm. where people first started to do it and where it got a bad reputation. But I mean, one of the oddest proponents of this for someone so visual and meticulous about his frame is David Fincher. He's a big multicamera shooter, mm. but like, I don't think Soderbergh's a multicamera shooter.
1: Really, because I Goslingberg guess, guess loves Lester, you know. So I, yeah, but anyway, I just i i i, I thought that was really curious about. But again, uh, Ridley's eye, and, and again, i i i was just kind i was kind of thinking. I think I was just kind of trudging along with Ridley's career at that point, and this movie came along as a kind of shook off the the dust a little bit. I think.
0: You know, I shit on the dialogue scenes in this, but uh, one great example that I you were talking about him, uh, injecting his career. One of my favorite, really Scott scenes of the last ten years is uh, the Alien Covenant scene of David talking to David, <laughs> yeah. or the Fastburner. I think that like that. I do not like that movie. That movie does not work for me. But that scene is amazing.
1: Um, a couple of other notes. I just was looking at my notes here. That uh, you you uh, you know. I, I said I thought Cameron Diaz had interesting little points. Maybe you know, she's the guiding force. in some ways that you could. Put the whole film on her shoulders. She's the s- smartest person in the movie. Yeah, and you know she, and I said that, like, uh, when the sun goes down, she goes, uh, uh, there it goes. And that's like near the beginning of the film. It's like, okay, the sun goes down, and we're going. We're going for broken here. She also says, what a world. I don't remember that. That's ending. the end. That's when, after um, Penelope and her having her talk at the hell spa, and the, the religious talk, and, and she's just okay, baffled I, I by the, the, the nicety of Penelope's world and her outlook, and and she goes, what a world, and, and Penelope's kind of uh, insulted by it. There's and, an
0: exchange near the end of the movie that I don't know if is emblematic of a bad portrayal of women or the fact that the women are the ones that are smart and know what's going on in the movie, where uh, she's talking to Natalie Dormer and she asks Natalie Dormer has seduced Brad Pitt to get uh, access to his like the codes for the- the, 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 this
1: computer to get his uh, money, the transfer right. His money. Right. And
0: uh, Cameron Diaz asks, "Are you going to see him again?" And she says, "What would be the point? He'll be broke."
1: Yeah. Uh, and then another one, other thing I wrote down was uh, uh, when uh, she actually gets the priest to walk out of the confessional booth. The priest he, he won't he's like you're not Catholic you you don't know if you're baptized why you're just playing with me you're not you know you're not really here to confess so he walks out and she goes her last thing in that scene goes I wasn't finished uh, so it's like she's constantly you know Provoking. capping these scenes and with these little little one-off sentences that make me think she's progressing, the whole thing is progressing on her account.
0: McCarthy gives her her little buttons to, yeah. verbal buttons to end each scene. Exactly. Um, I Okay, The one of the last things I want to talk about is, is going to be a left field turn, but McCarthy, I mentioned this earlier, his novel, The Passenger, which was originally supposed to come out in 2015, and he was working on The Passenger when he wrote the script. He, you know, took five weeks outside in, in the screenplay. The Passenger, there's speculation online that he might be pulling the J.D. Salinger, where he's holding back a few books and might not release any of them until he's died. Originally, it was supposed to come out in 2015. It's supposed to have a two book, or either be divided into two books, or there's supposed to be a second book, maybe similar to The Road and uh, Sunset Limited. Um, and right now, it has no publication date. It, but at the same time, McCarthy, um, w- he he's a researcher outside this thing called the Santa Fe Institute, which mixes science and the arts supposedly and there was actually a reading of excerpts of it out there and this book sounds really fascinating it's uh i mean it involves a uh it supposedly is about the origin of language um but it involves a uh schizophrenic woman checks into a mental institute and her father was involved with the manhattan project Mm. there might be something involving um the first words ever spoken by a man a, a human being 100 years ago was holy shit and the idea that speaking something made something a metaphor for the first time and so it was the way of representing something that isn't mccarthy also wrote somewhere around this time his 1st nonfiction essay that came from the santa fe institute called the the Kakul problem and it goes really in depth to this about McCarthy's in, interested in the unconscious and he defines the unconscious really fascinatingly it's he calls it the machine that operates animals it's basically the thing that keeps us going and he talks about language and the unconscious in this essay it's it's a little bit of a long read but not that long of a long read if if the book the passenger is about some ex- expounding upon what's in this essay this book is going to be amazing cuz it's McCarthy doing quantum physics and math and the origin of language, like this, sounds fascinating to me. Well,
1: I mean, I well, I have catching up to do because I haven't read, uh, I haven't read any of the books. But I didn't the, need to put you on the spot for that. No, time. no, no. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm very forthcoming about that. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what I, you know, uh, what, uh, what uh, the, I've seen of uh, the films based on his works, I'm very intrigued by him. And you know, if I have, you know, if if I get to a point where I have lots of time on my hands. I hope to uh, dive into this. What's also
0: fascinating about the nonfiction essay is the like plainness of the language for a guy who, like McCarthy, my favorite thing about him is the way he does compound words. He'll take random words and make a compound word that doesn't exist, but he'll do that. He's big into biblical language. The Bible seems like a very literary influence on him. People tend to talk up like Faulkner and Hemingway when they talk about him. Sometimes, I think Melville's his favorite writer he's mentioned but like, and this doesn't really help anyone's appreciation as a counselor per se, but this was the novel he was writing whenever he, like yeah, he took decided a break. to take five weeks of work. Yeah. He to, just said, I need
1: to take a break. He said, I want to take a break. And, and this is what he did. This is how he takes a break. McCarthy's a screenplay.
0: McCarthy's career is defined by two periods, the Appalachian period and uh, which ends with Sutri and then goes into the Southwest period and in, uh Sunset Limited, I think the movie takes place in New York. I don't know if it's mentioned in the play or novel, what do you want to call it. But in theory, um, The Counselor might be his last Southwest uh, work because the, the publisher described The Passenger, this new book, as uh, the third period of McCarthy's career.
1: Southwest, yeah, I, it makes me think of this. How many... Going back to what we mentioned it earlier, how there's such a you could do a, a film festival of southwestern west films, and and then and then the cartels and the neos, Sicario comes to mind too. You, you think about Sicario, uh, or the, you know that uh, Jeff Bridges uh, film, the hell uh, at what hell, hell in high, high water. water, just all that that that, yeah. Uh, he, McCarthy, can really, he was really, really good at that, pinpointing
0: that. I really hope he's not pulling Salinger just because, like, I mean, I hope he goes another few years and writes a lot more just because he's, I mean, it's not just Harold Bloom. A lot of other people think that he is our greatest American writer.
1: Harold Bloom thought that, huh?
0: Harold, yeah, Harold Bloom. I think Harold Bloom said, if he's not the best, he has his distinction of the four. Great American living at the time when he made it, it was uh, McCarthy, Thomas Pynchon, Philip Roth, and uh, Don DeLillo. Mm. Do you have anything else,
1: Ted? Uh, no, uh, uh, I, I, I wrote down here "Philosopher's Stone" on my notes. I think that, I think it's actually Brenell Gans mentions that, or mm, right? Yeah, and again, not uh, Harry Potter is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, just folks just you know it was interesting i mentioned this to uh three of my friends i go hey have you guys seen the counselor and none of them have seen it and uh, of them, i don't know if i could even recall it uh and i was just like man uh i you know you got brad pitt harvey uh penelope and cameron and cameron always surprises me because i i think this could be cameron's uh what sh- uh, what ca- uh, casino is the Sharon Stone? Mm. This, could well, what, uh, this could be Cameron's. This could be Cameron's tour de force. I had to
0: look it up. She, you know, she's unofficially retired. Um, and this is like her third last role. So it's not her, like Annie was weirdly her last role.
1: Yeah, and she, uh, I, I, I never was a huge. I mean, uh, in fact, really points out that you don't think of Cameron Diaz in this kind of part. But as, and I, I think I was, I'm guilty of that. And uh, I thought it, uh, she was we. I th- it didn't. She didn't work for me in Gangs of New York. Uh, I was about
0: to say I think she works. She does work for me in Gangs of New York. Really? Well, that's a little. I think I think she's got more weight and gravitas than people give her credit for. But it's it's a thankless part.
1: I need to go back and watch it again. It's been a long time since I watched it. But I, I remember thinking I do love that. I, I think I, I was thinking I I remember my one of my takeaways was that the chemistry between her and Leo were not that wasn't that great. But um, anyway. Uh, I was just really amazed by her performance. I think she really works it great, and I, like I said, you know, and it, it surprises you just like when Sharon and because you know, surprised you. like, wow, you know, she's got the chops in the right situation, the right, more, you know, the screenplay, right, director, right everything. Mm-hmm. I so don't you know, folks, see this film. It, it's it's like don't uh, seek it out. It's uh, and, and and yeah, if you walk away from going. Well, that was wonky. Well, that's fine. Don't be afraid of that because it's a, it's a good wonky.
0: <laughs> well, I think the key point is one you made earlier that it's it's a great watch, but it's an even better rewatch. Yeah,
1: and I'm I'm ready to watch it again just to keep on. I mean, with a notepad sometimes and write some of the things down because I'm just like okay, there's something here really to. Uh, take your fork and knife and cut into.
0: You know what might be a good gateway into reading Cork McCarthy for you, Ted? Read the screenplay, the published screenplay. Yeah, about. in fact,
1: I thought I bought the book. Uh, I thought I bought it. I think I was looking at my shelf because I, I go out of my way to buy a lot of those. You know, I, I got all the Tarantino screenplays in book format. I have the Coen Brothers uh, uh, screenplays in book format. And I remember the book sitting on the shelf at Barnes & Noble, and I thought, Thought I bought it, and I, but if I have it, I haven't shelved it properly. The yet.
0: cover, uh, the that first version is uh, this movie has a very ugly poster. It's just such, it's the
1: faces, just like it's well, it's face.
0: It's not just the faces; it's the color design behind the faces. That mm-hmm. like the they have that purple that's in Javier Bardem's office behind him, and it's just like it's 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 like the worst of uh, trends in posters, and yeah.
1: You know. Small. Uh, I guess we should mention too a small little note. I don't know if this impacted or, or this makes any impact at all or whatever, but uh, to, uh, Tony, his brother, uh, committed suicide when mm-hmm. he was doing this film.
0: It was during this film? It's
1: during this film, and he had to take a break and be with the family for a while, and then came back and resumed it and finished it. Uh, and uh, so I'm not sure if that plays it. Like I said, there's that one really bizarre deleted scene where I'm like, this is not Tony. This is not Scott's usual uh, editing style. It's more like his brother. So I don't know. Uh, if, uh, I think it? he's
0: capable of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Well, I
1: think really could. But I remember Tony took that. Tony took that interesting turn uh, where uh, been on fire and Domino. Yeah. Where he, uh, he, the he, double exposures and all kind, of, kind of like you know the taking uh, notes from Natural Born Killers and and. Uh, and Tarantino, but he. Gave My
0: favorite thing of his, it was in Man on Fire, is the words on screen. Oh, the
1: subtitles, how they use the subtitles. Yeah. yeah it was wonderful, wonderful. Yeah.
0: Very good usage of that. I guess uh, I want to leave it with McCarthy in the Oprah interview he did said something along the lines that uh it's not it's something along the lines it's not literature unless it deals with life and death and i mean you this movie it's 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 definitely one of the reasons it's hard to talk about is it's more than the sum of its parts the way it what it's talking about whether or not it has a cheap or nihilistic view of things or it has a profound interesting view of things it's in the aggregate it really is and it's Kind of hard to like put your finger on and describe too, like 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 a
1: good literary word. fine well, I I tell you this, I just this just struck me now when you said that, that I I remember walking out of that film, thinking I had gone to purgatory. I had gone to the depths of. That's interesting. You know, I, I really felt that. I mean, I walked out and just felt, oh my gosh, because they they had just taken the counsel of the Fassbender's character and just just came down on him. And and that scene in the hotel room when he's just you know uh, when he gets the CD yeah and uh, uh, it's just like oh my gosh and I I even had I had memories in my head that are not in the movie of just him you know or actually maybe the when he's wandering outside and the protest is going on but I just remember him just lost lost It's not
0: a protest they're they're talking about dead bodies from the cartel or yeah victims of the cartel
1: yeah they're protesting uh, they're 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 saying we got to do something about these oh I'm sorry you're right. yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, and just, uh, just, uh, uh, the, the just, the, just a lot, the sense of just, you're, you're in Lost. this oblivious purgatory that's just gonna, you, there's nothing you can do and just wait for the in, inevitable, you know. Did you feel that way in No Country when, after you got there in No Country? No, because No Country, the dream threw me off so much. They kept just sitting there talking that I didn't, it, uh, uh, it played a little bit different for me i don't i i didn't i didn't i i felt like i i felt more um uh content i mean i mean you were know, in and in in terms of coming out of it and what i gleaned from it whereas i just I, I i had a sense of grief walking out of uh this one uh do you think you felt stronger about i mean yeah no,
0: I, no country is a is a tour de force and it's a very oh yeah cinematic, it's fantastic' it's a, film. It's one of the great, It's one of the greatest uh, uh, directing teams of all time very cinematic ones doing some of their best work or they showing like s- like there's a thing where like uh the cohen's have been holding off like uh they had they they'd done that screenplay to the white sea that was supposed to be mostly silent but like they hadn't really done a long extended silent sequence and there's just a lot of cine- great cinematic work in that but well
1: you know what well, here, let, me, let me let me throw this at you it's the fact that uh it. No country that ho- the hotel room sequence where Javier's character is there's a little weirdness goes on there. Right and then and then Tommy Lee Jones' dialogue, it it, it, it to me it was like it played It's it, like it, a little
0: metaphysical. It played
1: so straight and then also we're in the world of uh, what's the what's the genre uh magic realism? Yeah, magic realism. Are we in magic realism or a mystical or metaphorical all of a sudden just so you know, it, it it did this little twist. It's kinda of dark magic realism. Yeah whereas i felt like it it felt like i was in this world right from the beginning i mean I, I, it, with the, uh uh the counselor you're in a, you're just you're like you just feel edgy the whole time it's all there I mean, it starts right there and and doesn't let go it's i mean as opposed to uh you just in no country you're like you're kind of in the like nor- this is going to sound terrible like of a normal you feel like you're in a normal world you're watching da, 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 and then all of a sudden whoop it twists on you at the end hmm
0: yeah, I mean, I, I already said it, value judgments are cheap, rankings are cheap, but you
1: just said you think you like the counselor more than No Country for <laughs> no, Old Men. It sounds like that. It sounds like that. I I I haven't really thought about it because I think mm-hmm. where I, right now I'm just saying I'm chewing on the counselor much more than I'm chewing on No on No Country. That's I, right. I'm not saying it's, one's better than the other, but I'm just saying it's given me. I'm I'm, I'm playing with it more it's
0: all good and well ted but you said it it's recorded and that's going on the tv <laughs> oh. spot for uh, uh the next tv spot for the counselor
1: uh okay well i'll i'll be happy to have uh, take that. Uh, uh, ridley I, I, don't, I don't i don't want joe and Ethan be mad at me so <laughs> well i guess that's it for this episode i yeah i mean we could yeah i think so i mean just watch the film folks check it check it out uh, be daring and take a, a chance on this thing because it's uh you you know, and you get these actors. At least the performances are fun.
0: And don't give in to greed, people. Everyone listening, <laughs> don't give in to greed. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. <laughs>